Let's get a phone. And then somebody said I couldn't do it, but you do. You put on the front brake and then you light up the rear tire, and you can do that. Just <laughs> and then one of you, probably Michael Orzio, is going to buy me a new rear tire. I don't know. But it's fun, yeah. So uh, speaking of though, cars, car season, Father's Day. Uh, I thought I would. I thought I would look up some NASCAR race car drivers that never won. Okay, that barely won. So, uh, so I looked up a few, I've got a few here, that I thought, this would be kind of cool to talk about. All right? You're thinking, what? You'll know, we'll get there. Uh, Greg Biffle. Have you heard of Greg Biffle? How many of yeah. you heard of Greg Biffle? 97 races without a victory. Ninety-seven races without a victory, but eventually began to win and ended up with the most career cup victories. Nineteen career cup victories. Paul Menard. Have you heard of Paul Menard? Anybody heard of him? Yep. Mike's heard of Paul Menard. Anybody? Lonnie, have you heard of Paul Menard? Huh? Good. I'm trying to talk about people nobody knows about, so you can't check my facts. Uh, Paul Menard. Only one career victory for Paul Menard. But a huge one, he won the 2011 Brickyard 400 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. His father, John, had tried to win the Indianapolis 500 for 30 years, but never found victory lane. So this was a sweet victory triumph for the family. Everybody say 30 years. 30 years. What? Are these people loony? Are they crazy? What is up with this? 30 years, but the son... The sun, come on, somebody's ceiling became the floor, and the sun brought home a victory. Casey Mears, anybody heard of Casey Mears? Hard to believe, but uh, Casey Mears had 300 starts before he won the Coca-Cola 600 at the Charlotte Motor Speedway in in 2007. Now these guys qualified for some pole positions, they, they, quali- they win points as they, they go, and, and so they're doing well enough, the sponsors stay behind them, and so they continue to race, but there's something burning within them, there's something that keeps them going, what would keep somebody going 30 years, you know, what is that all about, that you keep going, that you keep going, that you keep, you keep going, in there, even though you're not bringing home a victory, and what about the people around you, the people that keep telling you you're amazing, the, the wives, the kids, the the, the friends that, that kind of rally around you, and you, you've got 30 years without bringing home the victory? That's kind of wild, isn't it? I wonder if we're the kind of people to cheer for the people in our lives like that. Moms, kids, cheering for those dads. Why, why did these people hang in there? And what, what kept them going? And, and why, why didn't they give up? Why is it that people continue on a, on a crazy thing? We were talking the other day in staff, and I don't know how we got on it, but we were talking. I, well, I actually do know how we got on it. We were, we were talking about the parable of the sower a little bit. I'm going to talk on that today. And I guess it was in that topic that, uh, that it hit me. I wonder how long it took Noah to build the ark. And then I was thinking, you know, could we do that? Could we persevere through something? Yesterday, uh, yesterday we got to watch Sterling graduate and walk and get his diploma. And then I posted last night. I posted, um, he made it, and none of us are dead. 
You know, what is there, not only that keeps us going, but keeps us from killing each other, right? What is it? So I'm thinking about Noah. What, what about Noah? Think about Noah. How long? So I did a little reading, a little research trying to figure it out. And I guess the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how long it took him to build the ark. But, but they figure somewhere around 70 years. 70 years. Now, now remember something that Noah is, is preparing with the ark for something that's never happened. It's never rained. It's never rained. Uh, they've never experienced what it is that God has warned him, told him, instructed, dropped a, 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 a golden nugget of rhema in his heart about. He's got this revelation. He's got something burning on the inside of him. And nobody else has this burning. Nobody else has seen this vision. Nobody else can even relate to what he's talking about. It doesn't even rain. There's a firmament over the earth. They're living in like this giant greenhouse. And it's never, ever rained. And he's telling us for 70 years it's going to rain. It's going to be a day. It's going to rain. So now we're talking about, yeah, can we cheer for that guy? Can Mrs. Noah get around, get around that and sh- give a shout? How about the little Noahs? I mean, you know, he, and you know he couldn't have done this by himself, so he must have been a really good salesman, probably retired from cars or something a little earlier, and maybe life insurance. But anyway, nonetheless, he moved into, because he had to talk people into helping him. Some of these beams were three feet in diameter. I mean, let's talk about the ark just for a second. And, and I, I want to read the verse to you, too, out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. But let's talk about it. It's 510 feet long. That's one and a half football fields. It's large enough that NASA could lay three space shuttles nose to tail on the ark's roof. Fairly big. This building is 90 feet wide right here, so... Uh, this is, uh, the ark was uh, almost six of these. Is that right? Something like that. Six would be 540, so just shy of six of these buildings lined up. The roof of Noah's ark was more than 50 feet from the ground. Uh, Floor to ceiling here is 22 feet, so double and a little bit more. 50 feet from the ground, higher than a modern four-story building. Plenty of space for those... uh, Three extra tall inner decks that the Bible describes. The ark had the same storage capacity as about 450 standard semi-trailers. A standard uh, standard livestock trailer holds about 250 sheep. So the ark had the capacity to hold 120,000 sheep. And that's a lot of sheep dip, right? That's what you're thinking. Whoa. What are we going to do with all that stuff? Okay, so, I mean, this thing's huge, right? And he's building this thing for maybe 70 years, and he's got, he's got help. But what I want to focus in on is how he responded to something in his heart. He was burning with something in his heart. How he responded with that carried through. And again, like so many biblical stories, he had to carry through against objection, against contrary 
voices, against maybe mockery, uh, every kind of thing you can imagine. Hebrews 11, verse 7, tells us a little bit about it, because uh, Hebrews 11 is the whole of faith. And uh, so we find a little bit about it. There's lots of faith guys and gals listed there. Hebrews 11, 7 says, By faith Noah... Be warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, through which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So he's warned by God. So we get a word from God, which is interesting. There's, there's two kinds of faith that we often think about. There's saving faith and then there's doing faith. Saving faith, doing faith. There's saving faith, there's purpose faith. There's saving faith, there's calling faith. How many of you have a calling on your life? If you're a mom, you have a calling on your life. If you're a dad, you're on a calling on your life. The moment, the moment that little thing popped out of the womb, you had a fresh calling on your life, right? Yeah? So, there's saving faith, then there's purpose, there's destiny, there's... There's calling faith, and Hebrews 7 is, is very much about that, that calling, that assignment kind of faith, that assignment kind of word that's on our life. And so we can, we can also learn a lot about how to react or respond or walk out those calling words on our life by looking at the parable of the sower and learning out of the parable of the sower. And, and we think about situations like Noah... What enables people to build amazing things? What supported inwardly their vision and their dreams? And I want to read to you a little bit out of the parable of the sower to talk about these four kinds of hearts, four kinds of reactions maybe, not only to a saving faith word, but also to a calling faith word. And again, when we think about calling faith... Purpose, faith, calling, destiny, when we think about those kinds of words coming upon our hearts, a lot of times we think about kind of a rhema situation. Rhema meaning like a living word visitation. Have you heard the voice of God in kind of a whisper or kind of, a, kind of an inward thought or something? Anybody? Yeah? So sometimes it does come with that kind of a manifestation, but other times it, it's literally a transition or a progression into a new place in life. So it doesn't always have to be something that comes with goosebumps. It can literally be, as today we're celebrating Father's Day, the moment you become a father, the moment you become a father, there's available a brand new grace on your life. There's available a brand new calling on your life. A brand new enablement. A brand new desire from Father on you as a Father. So it doesn't always have to be something that is mystical. It doesn't always have to be something that is kind of spiritually uh, out there. And we think of it as kind of a rhema. And we had goosebumps or some kind of a visitation. And we've had those. Many of us have had those. But it's also a recognition of a transition with God in terms of time and space with regard to us. And he making good on that. So let's look at the parable of the sower real quick. Uh, Luke chapter 8 verse 4. When a large crowd was coming to Jesus, 
Those from various cities were journeying to him. He spoke by the way of a parable. And he said, The sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed, and some fell beside the road. It was trampled underfoot. Birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and with it and choked it out. Another seed fell on good soil, and it grew up and produced a crop one hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he called out and he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Then they inquired of him, What's this parable all about? Why are you talking to us in parables? Is this some kind of a secret? And he says, Well, to those who are listening, they're not going to necessarily understand what I'm saying. They're not going to discern it. But I'm going to tell you the meaning of the parables. So he begins to just quietly describe to the disciples what it is he's trying to say. The parable is this. And by the way, the parable would have very well fit into Israel and the hearts of those in Israel. This is why he was speaking it at that time over the Jewish community. So he's saying even in the Jewish community, here's what's been happening. Here's the kind of hearts that the word has been falling on. So he's describing this, but he's making this known now to the disciples. So the disciples are beginning to process this. Luke and Matthew record this, and we see that this metaphor, this typology of the kind of heart that we have, that we hold, or that we develop, now is a clarity or, a, or an insight or an understanding for us so that we can look at our own hearts, gauge our own hearts, work on our hearts, and become NASCAR drivers who never give up. Become boat builders who get the boat built. Right? Who become destiny shapers. Who, who walk out our calling and the things that God puts on our heart who walk it out fully and completely and who never give up regardless of what it looks like even if there's no sign of rain we just don't give up. You know, I think I'm just through being a dad. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm through being a mom. I think I've just had enough of this. I don't think so. Come on, somebody. Stare that down. Get back up there. Let's go after it again. Verse 11. Jesus gives us understanding. Now, here's the parable. The seed that I'm talking about is the Word of God. Those beside the road are those who've heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the Word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. This is interesting. Matthew says it this way. When they hear the word, they don't fully understand it. And if you don't fully understand what you're hearing, then it can be snatched from your heart. When you have something alive within you, when you come into a new season in your life, when there's a shift within you, do you know that the enemy doesn't like that forward shift that advancement shift, that increase shift, even that increase of responsibility shift, the enemy doesn't like that. And so 
There will be an attack against the mind. There will be imaginations and testimonies and contrary thoughts. And they are seeking to bring the word that you've heard or the thing within you or the season you've come into into question. And should you not fully lay hold of it, then they'll seal it out of your heart. You'll begin to doubt. You'll begin to question. You'll begin to retreat. You'll begin to talk out of questioning and indecision. This is part, this is part of the enemy, by the way, robbing the key and our focus today, robbing the grace, the enablement of perseverance out of your heart. That's our topic today. Perseverance. 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 70 years. 70 years. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear the word, they receive the seed. There's something good from God. Again, we're not just talking about saving faith today. We're talking about destiny faith, purpose faith, calling faith. When they receive the word, they they hear it, they receive it with joy. But these have no firm root. They believe for a while, but in the time of temptation, fall away. Now, I like what Matthew says. Matthew talking about the same exact conversation that, that he had with Jesus, says it this way. He says, but persecution arises because of the word. Luke says, in the heat, in the pressure of temptation and trial, they fall away. But Matthew says, persecution arises because of the word. This is interesting as well. And this is where we have to check our heart. We have to watch our heart. It's also very critical that we've prepared in advance. It's huge that you prepare in advance, that you know already that, oh, this that is in my heart, this that I'm called to, this that is before me, this that is good to do, right to do in the Lord, it's going to be confronted. It's going to be persecuted. It's going to move me into a place of testing or temptation or trial. Something's going to try to steal this away from me. Not just doubt in the mind where I don't have a full understanding, but even having a full understanding, there's going to be stuff that's going to try to shake me off of this and shake this off of me. Perseverance. Perseverance. We're going to persevere. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who've heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked, the seed, the seed is choked with worries, riches, and pleasure, and so they bring no fruit to maturity. This is interesting, is that there's a zillion distractions, guys. You know what? When you persevere, you have to persevere at full speed ahead. You have to persevere at 100%. Remember in Matthew 25, he gives out these talents. Five to the one who had the five-talent ability. Two to the one who had the two-talent ability. One to the one who had the one-talent ability. He gives them out. And it says that the one who received five, the one who received two, it says they went out and invested them fully. 
He's talking about a lifestyle here, a lifestyle that is all in, not a lifestyle that is, it doesn't say the one that received five talents went out and invested three of those talents, but kept two in the bank, where they could draw safely 2% interest. Doesn't say that. It says that they went and they invested fully of the five talents. And the one that received two went and invested fully of the two talents. In other words, we need to be all in. We need to live all in. It's not just persevering, but it's persevering with our whole heart in. Awfully rowdy crowd today. See, what happens is uh, distractions want to pull you away. They were choked. They were choked with worries, cares, riches, pleasures. And so it's not like, it's not like they didn't know what they were called to. They, they're still a dad. They're still a dad. They're, they're still a mom. They're, they're still a minister. They, they still have this sense of calling. But now all of this stuff is watering down the primary focus. The primary focus of the word, the primary focus of the the desire, of the drive, of the grace that God deposited in you when you transitioned into this new season, now all at once, it's watered down a little bit. There's a reason we put uh, these uh, things on horses, right? Yeah? Yeah. What are they called? See, there's a reason. It's it's almost like as people, we need to be so careful that the things that God has put in our heart, that we put blinders on to other stuff. Because other stuff, it's literally, it's being set there like little landmines of the enemy to pull you away, to distract you, to pull your vision off. And if you will allow those things to pull off your vision, you might think, well, I'm still walking this path of dad, or I'm still walking this path of whatever it is. You, you, You might still be thinking I'm walking this path, But the problem is that you've slowed down. Psalm 1 says, be careful, don't don't slow down in the midst of distraction. Blessed is a man who doesn't sit in the seat of the scoffers. See, somebody wants to pull you aside and get you to just sit a while. Somebody wants you to pull you aside and just get you to walk a little bit. But, but Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who just kind of keeps on moving. We've got to keep on moving. We've got to keep our pace. I don't know if you know it, but the things that God's put in your heart, they actually have a timeline on them. I have this feeling it was going to rain in 70 years whether the ark was built or not. See, I think we we got to be tuned in to what God has put in our heart because the thing that God has put in our heart, it actually has a destination line. There's a, there's a destination line. I know we're, we're used to Puyallup schools, right? Hey, you didn't get that test in? It's all right. Come back later. Oh, you got an F? You can redo it. Don't worry about it. Come on, we're, we got this we got this weird relationship with... With authority going on, I don't know if we should transfer it to God. Because I, I think God's got some things that are set in motion. And He's put a deposit in our heart that He's fueling us with grace. But if we let some of these cares and some of these worries and some of these pleasures get into a position where they're a little out of place. They're a little over the top. They're a little 
they're a little too strong on their influence, then we begin to slow down. We begin to get distracted. We begin to pull into some detours. Can you imagine the panic? Some of you can. My wife can. Can you imagine imagine the panic if the rain would have started and they would have had about, you know, 60 boards left to go on that ark? Okay, it works that way at our house sometimes, right? You don't know it, but right before company comes, we're running around like crazy. I'm vacuuming the whole house. We're going nuts. She's about ready to kill me. We literally have a body wash in the utility room. I just run through it real quick, wipe off, jump into some brand new clothes. All at once the doorbell rings. Oh, bless you. Come on in. As I'm walking them to the dining room, she trips me. If you ever do that again, I'm going to kill you. So guess what happens next time? I do it again. Oh, yeah, baby. And around and around we go. Woo! So we know what it feels like to like have that, that feeling of incompletion, right? Noah couldn't have that feeling of incompletion. And part of why he persevered, part of why, part of why there was a grace on him for the perseverance, but there's also a grace to set a pace in the persevering. So the destiny truly becomes a destination. Not false hope. Amen? But the seed in the good ground, here's the, first, here's the fourth kind of heart. The fourth kind of heart is the soil of good soil. It's the soil of good ground. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who've heard the word in an honest and a good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, this is interesting because this really, this really got my heart thinking because I was thinking that a, a good heart has a lot to do with the enablement of perseverance. Instability in my heart actually feeds everything that that destroys perseverance, instability in me. If I've got instability in me, we've talked about various kinds of instability. Here he says, the stony heart, the rocky heart, the heart that doesn't really search to understand or inquire. The heart that's drawn away, the heart that that is not focused. The good heart, the good heart, has a lot to do with perseverance. Perseverance in the face of contradiction, temptation, testing. Let's read what perseverance is. Perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Perseverance is steady, persistence in a course of action, a purpose, a state, 
especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragement. Perseverance. Perseverance is not giving up. It is persistence and tenacity. The effort required to do something and keep doing it until the end, even if it's hard. Even if it's hard. Perseverance. You know what perseverance is? Perseverance, according to Pavlov and Skinner. Anybody been to college? Psychology 101? According to Pavlov and Skinner, I think this is really cool. Perseverance is what sets you apart from dogs. Will you be a dog? Or will you be a man or a, and a woman of God? See, Pavlov, Skinner, modern psychology, discovered behavioral conditioning. And what they learned is that through particular stimuli, that dogs and animals can be trained toward a new behavior if the stimuli is changed. And this is what Satan is counting on with you. He's counting on the idea, the psychological, insightful idea that negative stimuli will turn you away from the very thing you're called to. If you keep getting hit, if you keep getting knocked down, if you keep losing, if you keep not coming in on victory lane but another lane, if you keep facing discouragement, if you keep getting no's at the doors, then it won't be long and you're going to say, you know, this is just not for me. Even though the word's in your heart, even though you heard from above, even though those are your kids, even though you have a responsibility, even though you have a calling on your life. If the stimuli is negative, this is what the enemy's counting on. Persecution, trouble, distraction, hurts, disappointments. He's counting on you, not acting like a son of God, but acting more like a base nature, carnal man. And isn't that what evolution tells us anyway? Is that you're just an animal? Biologically, you are barely different than all of them. And so behavioral conditioning, behavioral psychology, we've learned, we know, we're smart. A little bit of negative stimuli and we will turn away from something good. But that's what sets us apart. That's what makes man different. That's what makes the born again man and woman different. That's what makes us different. What makes us different is that we have an enablement to persevere. We have an enablement to look and almost receive affirmation that we're on track from neg negative stimuli. Hello, somebody. You ever felt that? It's almost like, whoa. You kind of see the negative coming or you feel the negative hits you. And instead of like, oh, I'm done with this. 
I guess I don't belong here. You just start encouraging yourself. Oh, this, this proves this is where I belong. This proves this is what I'm about. This proves this is what I'm supposed to do. This proves this is, there's something here for me. There's something I need to get into here. There's something I, I need to push a little deeper in this. I think that's the kind of righteous rebellion that God is looking for. That's what God is looking for. He's not looking for you to retreat. He's not looking for you to run away. He's not looking for you to to factor yourself out. He's not looking for you to say it's not for me. He's looking for you to look within and continue to press forward regardless of what you see or feel or hear. Persevere. And you know what? If you will, it says a lot about the heart within you. It says a lot about the maturity of your heart. It says a lot about the way you've been guarding your heart. Oh, we need to guard our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. You know what that means? Guard your thoughts. Guard your inward imagination. Guard everything that's happening on the inside of you. Post a guard at your heart. Post a guard at your heart. Just don't let anything in. Don't let anything be focused on. Don't let anything be high in your imagination. Post a guard on your heart because out of your heart springs springs the boundaries of your life. Put a guard on your heart. Why would we why do we care so much about our heart? Why would we be watching over our heart with all diligence it says? With all diligence guard your heart. Because it has a lot to do with the way you react, respond to the calling, to the purpose, to the season that you're in right now. To what God has for you, your heart, your heart, the cleaner it is, the more in tune it is, the more focused it is, the more at rest it is, the more it is expanding and magnifying the Word of God within the more perseverance is flowing like a grace. It's flowing like a grace. It's flowing like a grace. And the thing that God's called you to, it can't be done in a day. Can't be done in a day. Can't be done in two days. Can't be done in three days. And moms and dads, how many of you know it may never be done? That wasn't meant to be funny. But that's okay. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. God's put something good in your heart. So perseverance is born of a good heart. Garbage in your heart will work with corruption to sabotage the dream that God has put within. A good heart. A heart in tune with Father. A heart of sonship. A heart of faith will stare the enemy down will look persecution in the eye. Will look trouble in the eye. Look at it in the eye. Look at it in the eye. I heard somebody say the other day, you know, we really mess we really mess we mess Christians up a little bit because we tell you, you know, we tell people you come to the Lord, it's gonna be really cool. You come to the Lord, it's gonna be amazing. You're gonna be forgiven. You're gonna be restored. You're gonna have an abundance. God's goodness is going to be all over your life. And instead they get persecution. Persecution arises because of the word. So then, all at once you're thinking, well, where'd this come from? Where'd this come from? 
Well, it came from the enemy. It didn't come from God. But if you will stare it in the eye, if you'll stare it down, if you'll march forward anyway, if you will stand strong, if you will take up the shield of faith, come on, somebody, if you'll get the sword of the Spirit, if you'll stay focused on God, if you'll keep a pure heart, don't begin to rail against God, rail against the enemy. It's not God sending persecution. It's persecution coming to steal that word. Why? The enemy knows that word within you is powerful. And if you'll just hang on to it for a little while, it will produce something good in your life. So of course he wants to steal that from you. Because if he steals that from you, then you're going to lose out on something precious and something amazing. Come on, let's stand this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and help us close. Perseverance is born of a good heart. It's born of a good heart. We're constantly working on your heart here. Chris came up at the end of worship. He's working on our heart. The Holy Spirit was leading him to help us work on our heart. Releasing those we're angry with, embittered with. Letting go, declaring that we're free from addictions, wrong thinking. Releasing fear, letting go of fear, saying no to fear. Things that harm the heart. There's so many sabotaging schemes of the enemy. It's like you're going down a... You know, the Bible says that narrow is the road to life. And I I saw this picture last night as I'm meditating on this. And I'm I'm seeing us going down this narrow road. And we're on a trajectory toward destiny. We're going down this narrow road. And all at once persecution jumps out. We've got to dodge it. But we've got to stay on the road. You've got to stay in the road. And then all at once affliction, and, and affliction jumps out. It says affliction. Affliction can jump out. And, but you've got to stay in the road. And you, just, and you keep on. And then all at once some disappointment jumps out. But we don't let that throw us off of our course. We don't let that throw, that, throw us off of our course. We continue in this trajectory of what God has put in our heart, what God has called us to. We lay hold of a good heart. We continue to work on our heart and keep our heart with all diligence before the Lord. Come on, bow your heads, close your eyes all across the auditorium this morning. Let's pray this together. Father, I receive your help this morning. The grace of perseverance. The grace to finish the course. To run the race. To build the ark. To complete what you put in my heart, Lord. I receive grace from you, Lord. Washing me inwardly, cleansing me inwardly. I covenant with you to keep giving you every anxiety, every fear, every abuse, every disappointment, every carnal thought. give it to you. And I receive from you in that process 
new life, new enablement, refreshment, the ability to run and not be weary, the grace to walk and not faint. Dodging persecution, overcoming affliction, pressing through trials. You're my strength. You're my hope. You're my enable. You're my joy. The joy of the Lord over me is my strength. Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. I'm going to ask the altar team to come. Those that are helping us at the altars this morning. If you just come and prepare to pray. We want to close this morning just inviting you forward for ministry. If you're here today and you're not sure of your salvation, you can leave here and know for an assurance that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life you've been forgiven, that you have friendship with God, and I invite you this morning, don't leave without that knowledge. The Bible says that sin actually has wages. Romans chapter 3 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I'm so glad that I have passed from death into life sins are forgiven, that the weight of those sins is no longer pressing on my heart. We invite you this morning to receive forgiveness. Others of you this morning, I want you to just respond to what God is stirring within you. We're just going to worship as we close. Part of revival, part of revival is revived.